Tooth and Claw, Issue 8, England, Present Day. Back at the car, the rain had thickened as the light began to fade. After Drake had dried himself and Ross had checked his pistol, they set off on foot for the barn. Grey afternoon turned quickly to darkened smears of charcoal and muddy green, thrown up off the marsh by the light as it convulsed dully before the oncoming evening. The jangle and reel of buntings and warblers bounced off isolated crops of alder and scurried over the wind-brushed flat, harrying the two men as they walked silently toward the dilapidated outhouse. Drake lit a cigarette. The glowing end seemed a pitiful lighthouse against the storm of descending cloud and encroaching dark. He stopped Ross maybe twenty feet from the barn and held his finger to his nose. The wind shifted around them in little gusts and brought the soft rustle of an open fire and wisps of wet wood smoke, tangled in the air with the peaty cling of the marsh. Drake stubbed his cigarette out and pointed to his right. He nodded at Ross, who unholstered his pistol and carefully moved off to circle the building. Drake went left, down a reed-clotted path, his footsteps light. Drake quickly found an entrance. A large gouge in the side of the barn, five foot high and the same across. The soft wood splintered in crooked points like rotten teeth. A dirty green tarpaulin hung ragged over the hole, slapping in the wind and puffing small plumes of smoke that emanated into the night. He waited. Finishing his circuit, Ross appeared. He shook his head. Nothing. Drake motioned to the entrance. Ross started forward, but something held him back. Drake had to take the lead on this. He knew it. Drake caught Ross's eye and nodded. Taking a torch from his coat pocket and pushing the tarp aside, Drake bent down to enter the barn, Ross close behind. The majority of the barn was empty. Only the hole where the hole had been made showed any signs of life. In the corner there was a small, dying fire in a tiny pit. Next to the fire and along the far wall was a mass of reeds, grass and mud, flattened in the middle. A small writing desk, on it an unlit candle, stood forward from it, a rickety wooden stool tucked underneath. A large, heavy cupboard was rammed in the other corner, wrapped in a padlock and chains. Then the smell hit him. Ross wretched. The aroma that sat heavily inside was like nothing he'd ever encountered. A wet, slimy miasma hovered above the ground like the marsh, but somehow older. There was a chemical taste to it, some irritant, natural like a fungus or root of some kind. A twisted chlorophyll, an anti-life substance, immediately recognisable to the senses as hazardous, alien, filled with some malicious intent. Ross felt lightheaded. The glare of the torch in his eyes snapped him back into focus. He's not here, Drake said flatly. You okay? That smell, it feels wrong. Drake scanned the torch slowly around the room. It gets too much and you think you're going to faint. Step out and get some air. You don't want to pass out in here. Ross nodded and switched his own torch on. I'll be okay. Drake moved to the fire and knelt down. The crack of the spitting embers saturated the harmonics of the room. Ross felt the same tightening of the atmosphere he'd felt at the stadium and the creek. He's only been gone a few hours. The question is where? Ross went over to the cupboard and checked the lock. It was tight. I think we're going to have to get in here if we want any answers. He's a bit of a minimalist otherwise. What's this? Drake said as he stood up from the fire and walked to the writing desk. 
picked up a large brown notebook. Ross joined him. Drake flicked towards the most recent entry and simply said, Ardellian, Grantham. The gang from the petrol station, Ross said. Drake nodded. Duckstone wasn't lying. We need to radio the circle immediately. He closed the book and slipped it into his coat pocket. Probably a good idea to get on to Howard too. See if he knows anyone who's not a total idiot at the Grantham police. What do I tell him? Nothing. Just get a name. We can't involve them directly, but it might be nice to give them a heads up for some trouble. Whereabouts in Grantham are we going? Drake looked at him with a smile. We'll go ask around a bit. You gonna jump in another river? No. We'll do this the old-fashioned way. Howard had proved useful after all. When Ross called him, he'd given them the name of a bar known to be frequented by the Ardellians. The traffic bloomed as they neared the town centre, blinked glimpses of the dark fluttering out of the mass of headlights and shop fronts. They left the car just off Westgate, a wide street lined with pubs and bars. Most were full already, but there was a steady exchange of people. The wide pavements buzzed with increasing intoxication. The Cooper's Arms was a large open room with one long bar along the back wall. Dark wood and faded cream leather gave the space a smudged look, so worn it had all begun to bleed into itself. It was busy, a mix of large groups out on the town and a few stragglers finishing up afternoon sessions. A low thump of house music billowed like cotton from the speakers, mingling with the rising bubble of voices into a blanketing hum. The small dance floor that sat in the middle of groups of high round tables was still empty, but the enveloping pews that lined the room cushioned and made it seem warmer, more inviting. Drake spotted a group of young men and women spread around some tables, the women already beginning to sway and bop as they stood holding their drinks. The men talked animatedly and occasionally scanned the room. Drake pointed to them. Over there. Looks similar to the two at the petrol station, Ross agreed. Shall we go say hello? Drake closed his eyes and twisted his head slightly, his brow knitting in concentration. He smiled and opened his eyes. It's them. Ross didn't have the energy to ask. He kind of expected what Drake said next as well. Wait here. I won't be long. Ross shrugged. You go do your thing. He watched Drake casually walk over to the group and address the men directly. He couldn't hear what was said. Their faces briefly flashed, angry disbelief mounting before falling into a stupefied submission. One of the men mouthed something slowly. Drake turned and walked back, leaving the men sat dumbstruck, the girls bewildered and increasingly upset. Moldumesque, he called as he glanced back. He smiled at Ross. Snooker club, just a couple of streets down. Ross looked at him blankly. We're on a short time frame here, we need to move quickly. Again, Ross didn't have the energy to ask. The side streets were quieter and the small slope of parking space that led down to the snooker club was empty. The door was ajar and a dim light flickered out over the threshold. Drake looked at Ross. They both drew their weapons. As they neared the doorway, a damp chemical smell seeped out to greet them. Drake took a handkerchief from his jacket pocket and handed it to Ross. Wear this. I think we're too late. There were only two snooker tables, more of a front room than a club. 
There was a small bar on the left-hand side. The walls were a dingy grey, the ceiling low and oppressive. The bulb in one of the lamps flickered over a scuffed base, balls strewn everywhere. The place was empty, apart from that smell. At the far end of the bar was a door, smashed almost to pieces. The smell grew stronger as they went towards it, whilst his nerves were thrown into a sharp relief by the silence. They entered the back room, the silence was finally broken with a drip and a hiss. Sydney, Australia, 15 years earlier. There was a loud crash from the shop front, the glass door smashed. Chen Tang turned quickly to Robert and Lian Hua. You must go, he hissed. He must not see you. Before they could argue, he leant forward and drew Lian Hua close to him, placing a kiss on the top of her head. I am sorry, my child. I'd hope to always keep you from this. Lian Hua let out a huge sob. I won't leave you. You have to, Lian Hua. You and Robert are my only hope now. She shook her head and drew back from him, anger spreading into her cracked voice. I don't understand. There is not always time for understanding, only for acting. He grasped her shoulders firmly and looked squarely into her eyes. You must be brave. Lian Hua shook his hands off her, shaking her head violently, her voice stronger. I will not leave you here to die. Chen Tang glared at her. Through the tension in the air, Robert sensed a great surge of warmth between them. The old man turned quickly to him. Robert, look after my granddaughter. Get both of you safe. Best to go far. He turned to the shop front again. The handle creaked and the bottom of the door scrunched the broken glass as it opened. When he looked at Robert again, Chen Tang's eyes reflected Robert's face back at him with such clarity, as if there were mirrors deep within the tunnels of empty sockets. Chen Tang now lost in the image of the young man he spoke to. They will look for you now. You are valuable to them. Be in the bowels of the earth and the heavens above, the depths of the waters and the white heat of the flame. Robert nodded solemnly back. In an instant, Chen Tang had stepped through the stripped door blind into the shop front. Lian Hua raced after him, but Robert moved quicker. He grabbed her and pulled her to the side, pressed against the wall. He placed his finger to his lips. Lian Hua covered her mouth with her hand to stifle a cry. A grating voice came from the front, deep and coarse, like rocks sliding over rocks. It is true then, Chen Tang, here in my city, right under my nose. You have done well to keep yourself hidden, old man. These last two words said with a sickly delight, the cadence of the voice creeping up with a harsh squeak. And what harm has it done you, Fu Kang Long? For so long we fought, hating the other's existence, and yet we have been this close for years. Neither of us has lost anything from our proximity. Why change this now? The other voice roared into laughter, a tumbling sound, scree shifting down a mountainside. Why now? You may well have ran those many moons ago, Chen Tang, but I never forgot our venom. If I were known you were here, this confrontation would have long been in the book of great stories. The danger rippling through the words of coiling and malevolence. But you know that is not why I am here. Chen Tang replied quickly. He's long gone, Fu Kang Long, and you won't find him. Ha! He's still back there, Chen Tang. You think I can't smell his blood? You did it, Chen Tang. Shell of a serpent you may be, but you did it. Robert felt his heart begin to race. 
shunting hard against his ribcage, a gathering build of energy threatening to surge through the rest of his body. He looked at Lianhua, who shook her head silently at him, sensing his intent. The low voice rumbled. Come out, boy. Let me have a look at you. Robert felt the words seep into him, urging him toward his decision. He hardened his eyes and looked at Lianhua. He passed to the old leather book, then stepped forward through the stripped door blinds. Chen Tang did not turn to him, but spat angrily. I told you to go. Do not scold him, Chen Tang. He must have guts, though. He's a willowy thing. The old man's food not up to much, eh, boy? The deep, chuckling voice came from a stocky man in his late fifties. His muscular frame filled his expensive pinstripe suit as he stood relaxed, feet planted firmly beneath his shoulders. His arms hung, his hands dropped loosely into his pockets. Dark hair framed a tanned, clean-shaven face, dim drifts of white around the temples. He puffed on a cigar, smoke swirling around his head after blasting from his nostrils in thick, even columns. He radiated a coiled power, like Chen Tang, but it felt more alive, quicker. Robert sensed it steadily growing as the man breathed. He was stoking his energy as he stood, the nonchalance of his posture belying the concentrated build of internal tension. Chen Tang was doing the same, Robert knew. He also knew what he had to say. I'll go with you. Just leave the old man alone. Fu Kang Long roared with laughter. My boy, you do have guts. Foolish guts, though. You should have run. This ends only one way. Maybe if Chen Tang and I didn't have such history, and if he hadn't injured my dolt of a son, he motioned to Johnny with his right arm. The half-breed was stood back from him in a line with ten armed men, batons, chains and switchblades. Such was Fu Kang Long's presence, Robert hadn't even noticed them until now. Maybe then I would have let him live and just taken you. But I don't deal in maybes, boy. You will come with us, and I will finally see what the old man's guts look like. Robert felt the ball of energy around his racing heart again, felt it pushing in all directions. It threatened to explode in the totality around the rest of his flame, dissipating too quickly. He slowed his breathing, as Chien Tang had told him, to gain control of the power, to move it down, centralize it in his Dantian. Beat by beat, his heart slowed to match his breath. The beating core of his body wrapped the energy into place, stroking it so the heat remained contained in the ember it now formed. He was ready. I'm not going anywhere, and neither is Chen Tang. Fu Kang Long looked at him with a curiosity. His eyes flared with interest. You really did it, old man, he said distractedly. Snapping back into focus, his eyes fixed on Robert, he gestured to the hoods behind him. They fanned out menacingly. Chen Tang spoke to Robert now. It was not words made of sounds that entered him, but words made of thought alone. You are brave, Robert, but you cannot win this battle. I am afraid that I cannot either, but I alone must try. Take Lian Hua and leave before it's too late. With that, Chen Tang stood tall and took one bold stride forwards, locking himself into stance. He took a long, deep breath closed his eyes and exhaled. The stream of his breath made a rushing, hissing sound that began to grow in volume. A breath in again, the sound still growing in volume, rippling heavily, reverberating in the space around the old man. Fu Kang Long turned to him. 
What are you doing, old man? I can end you in the forms we take now. I can rip you in half with my bare hands. There is no need for a flare-up. Chen Tang made no answer. He continued to breathe deeply, moving his arms in the same circle, generating the same arc of rippling energy around him. His breath began to sound like a crashing water, a torrent violently cascading through too small a channel, roaring foam smacking flat surfaces, splintering into huge clouds of spray. Very well, Fu Kanglong said gravely. If you must go, why not as a semblance of the great creature you once were? Still better than in these tight, thin skins. He pulled at his suit jacket in disgust, then spoke to Johnny and the men. Get the boy and get out of here. I will deal with the old man. With that, he took one huge breath in himself, pulled his fist down to his hips and swung one leg in front of him in a perfect arc. A moment's pause and he swept it down into stance. The impact of his foot on the tiled floor sent a tremor through the building. Robert felt a jump of energy connect between the two men, their breathing locked in unison. The air between them began to throb. A great pressure filled the room. Robert's ears popped. Johnny and the men circled closer. Chen Tang's voice blossomed in his mind once more. Leave now, Robert. Take her. Keep each other safe. Chen Tang's eyes flashed open and Robert saw the whites that turned to dark green. His irises an even brighter blue sapphire flowing around them. His pupils had elongated into long slits and turned a brilliant gold, flaring sideways to take in more light. His breath now deepened, the bass frequencies of a distant waterfall rumbling through the thick jungle. He flung his arms out in front of him, his white overalls pinging open at the scene as a surging flow of mass undulated under his skin and layered around the old man's frame. Robert stepped back in terror. Fu Kang Long was also changing. The expensive suit was suddenly ripped as his shoulders clenched over in a spasm of contraction, then flung backwards and opened up, growing in size, bursting through the material. His muscles crunched and flinched as his torso expanded, his limbs cracking and stretching, a noise like the broken rumble of an earthquake. Peals of blue light appeared around Chen Tang as flashes of dark brown colour began to swirl around Fu Kang Long. Robert was rooted to the spot, mesmerised, watching two men morph into something else, something fascinating, a dangerous siren call. Fu Kang Long's men began to back away, except for Johnny, who had crept over the counter to within a few feet of Robert. He was holding a kosh. With a sudden bellow of breath, Chen Tang threw his hands out, palm up in Johnny's direction. The air shunted back from the old man's hands as Johnny was hurled violently against the wall. He was pinned, feet off the ground, hanging in a daze, splayed like a freeze. Chen Tang roared at Robert, Go now! He turned and launched towards Fu Kang Long, who rushed forwards. All Robert could see was the blurred smear of the air. The pressure in the room became unbearable and the peals of blue and flashes of dark brown leapt out at each other. There was a collision. Sound and colour merged in an explosion of energy. The forms of the two men twisted from more curvilinear shapes into harder angles that jutted, clanging edifices of solidity that scraped and screamed. Tooth and claw met. In that moment, the room seemed ready to collapse under some great weight or sluice away with a gush of ineluctable movement. Robert threw himself back into the storeroom, grabbed Lien Hua. He rushed them out into the back alley and into the night.
Written and recorded by James Fisher. Edited and read by Andy Bennett. Music by Aquifer. <laughs>